Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. God save our gracious King. Heather Main, a racehorse trainer and soprano, singing the national anthem God Save the King at Newbury Racecourse yesterday. And of course, most of us have felt the impact of Her Majesty the Queen, but haven't been fortunate enough to know her. Two people who did are with me this morning uh, to discuss what she left us as a, as a country and also as a, as a racing nation. Henrietta Knight and Andrew Balding, both of whom trained, trained winners for Her Majesty and knew her well. Uh, David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror alongside me. Um, Hen, the Queen was somebody that you interacted with an awful lot, not just through racing, but also through your, your shared love of all horses, really. I described her as a, an equestrian polymath. Similar comments could, could apply. Yeah, she had a, a great way with animals. Um, she adored her, her dogs and she adored her ponies and she adored her racehorses, and she was just a natural, and I think probably her way with animals, that's why she was so brilliant with the country and with her people. She could just be part of the people she inter interacted with. And so there was that, that sort of natural empathy. Not everybody has it, do they? Mm. No, she, it's a gift, and she was gifted. And uh, there's an awful lot, I mean, we've seen over the last 10 days, an awful lot of speculation. 24-7 on all the rolling news channels and you, know, you feel for, for everyone trying to fill all those minutes and hours with, with tributes, and some of them well-informed, others less so. The idea that the Her Majesty the Queen really did love racing, was no, that, that wasn't a flight of fancy, was it? She, she was completely passionate and completely knowledgeable. Oh, she was passionate about her racing and um, she, she lived for it yeah. as well as everything else that she did and all her sense of duty. Racing was her, you know, her her let, her let out really in a way because she she could um, really enter into the spirit of it and she knew so much about it she was such a knowledgeable lady and she knew everything about the pedigrees and the temperaments and the well-being of all her horses 
brilliant. Uh, Andrew, your family have trained for for the Queen for oh, well, it's three generations, isn't it? It goes back to goes back to your grandfather. Yes, yeah, my grandfather and obviously uncle yeah. Willie. He he had the privilege of training for as well. So uh, yeah. And for you, when when you took over, um, was it something that you were very very conscious of? When you when you first took over the license, that you know there was there was that lineage there, there was that tradition in the family of training for for the monarch. Yeah, well, I was extremely lucky, obviously, to to inherit the Queen as as an owner, and but she was very supportive, and as she was of a, a lot of young people, um, I was huge privilege to to had that opportunity. And that interaction that the the trainers talk of was sort of instant. Every time every time a horse ran, it seems that she she didn't miss it. Yeah, m- amazing. I mean, she had such a you know, desire to see her horses that she'd bred and and um, owned, see them race, obviously. And uh, you know, if she couldn't see it live, it was recorded, and um, she got a huge, I hope, huge pleasure from most of it anyway. Did, did it make you nervous? Um, no, you wanted to do well. You, you know, it made you know if you, if you had a long spell without winners, um, felt put pressure on yourself. But she'd never put pressure on you. You never felt that way anyway. Um, no, it was it, everyone who, who had the great fortune to train for, I think, w- w- were totally committed to trying to do their best, and I think she appreciated that. But I, I, I like the idea that, yes, she loved horses, but she loved to win as well. She loved, she loved her horses being the best and succeeding, and you just see those little glimpses. Only in racing would you see those little glimpses of real fire and emotion. Yeah, well, absolutely. I think that r- racing has that effect on a lot of wealthy and, and powerful people, that it is... You know that that sense of just because you're the Queen of England doesn't entitle you to, to success on the race course, and and I think she got huge enjoyment and pleasure out of those successes, and and as you say, I think it sort of drove a, or appeared to drive a competitive streak in, and um, but uh, she was, you know, everyone has said what a wonderful she's the best of the best, obviously as a as a human and person, but as an owner, she was very much the best of the best. I mean, Hen, you have a. A, a pretty clear insight into into the frustrations and the heartache of trying to breed good horses. You know, the, the qualities you need to do that and to stick at it are, are, are pretty significant. Very much so. And she was competitive, not only trying to breed the best horses, but also trying to breed the best Highland ponies and Dale's ponies, which she was very fond of as well. And um, I was lucky enough this May to have talked to her for about 20 minutes at the Royal Windsor Horse Show mm-hmm. and she had a championship there with her Highland pony and we were watching the judging in the ring and I was talking to her and she knew every pony in the class, she knew everything about the breeding and she was really, you could see she was really on edge that she wanted to win this class she was determined and, uh, and the Royal Windsor Horse Show was a, a big part of her life wasn't it? It was one of her favourite parts of the calendar. I mean, every May she lived for the for the Windsor Horse Show, and she would always be driven down to the ringside from the castle and watch the classes. And all her ponies would be prepared specifically for that day, um, her best ponies, and that she gave her a chance to see them. And she just mingled with the crowd. And I think that was what was so wonderful about the Queen was that she was a people's person. And the people could identify with her, and they could talk to her. And she wasn't somebody sat, stuck up on a pedestal, unapproachable. She was incredibly approachable, and she knew the, the, the ponies, and she knew the horses, 
and everybody respected her. And you had a, a close link with her through your own family as well, through your, your late brother-in-law, Sam Vesti, who was master of the horse, Lord Vesti, master of the horse, um, to, whom, to whom she was very close. And so you, you must have seen quite a bit of the, the inner workings of how the whole equestrian side of, uh, of the royal family really worked and hung together. Yes, I suppose I've been very lucky in my life. And um, not only did I know the Queen, but I knew the Queen Mother very well through my parents. Mm-hmm. And... And then, of course, when Sam Vesti was master of the horse for 19 years, he spent a lot of time with her and with my sister. And I, I, I'm just very fortunate to have been so close to such a wonderful lady. Uh, Andrew, you, you were fortunate enough to train some really good horses for the Queen, particularly latterly. And um, it was only May that you, you won the, the Temple Stakes with with King's Lynn. Now, would it be fair to say that this is a horse that, that had been a, a project? He was a very talented horse, but he hadn't always had the rub of the green. How much satisfaction did that give you and the Queen? Well, I hope huge satisfaction for her. It certainly gave me great satisfaction. But um, he, was, he won the big, uh, the big sponsored race up at the Weatherby sponsored race up at Doncaster as a two-year-old and mm-hmm. uh, had been a pretty good three-year-old and was a bit unlucky in the Wokingham. He was third in the Wokingham and this year obviously stepped up to win at... Uh, the, the group to Haydock, and uh, you know it was a it was a fantastic day, um, and you know he's we still hope he's capable of, of going on and and doing more. It's just it's great sadness that she won't be here to see it. Do you think this is just the the tip of the iceberg? Do you think you were you were scratching the surface with this horse, and that there's there's a group one waiting to? Well, hopefully, we'll you know hopefully we'll, time will tell. But he's he's just a really sweet horse, very kind-natured, and, and he's relatively young with low mileage for a sprinter. But we, we've heard quite a bit in the last seven days about uh, Her Late Majesty's fortitude in defeat. I'd imagine the couple of Royal Ascots tested, tested that, didn't it? <laughs> and yours. Well, <laughs> certainly. Um, well, she was the, the, the Queen was present when he was third in the Wokingham, and it was just, as you know, with sprinters, you need everything to go right. Um, and he just didn't get a lot of luck. He ran on consecutive days. This was last year at Ascot and was very unlucky in the King stand. Not that he would have won, but he, I think he would have been a good, a good second. And, and then, yeah, unlucky in the Wokingham as well. So twice in a week. Uh, Dave, you've been putting together your, your tributes over the course of the week for, for your newspaper, as everybody in our, our industry has. And you used a, a really striking phrase to me to describe her Majesty and horse racing. Just, just remind me your your assessment in a line. I think. I mean, in the the mirror, uh, I wrote that uh, Her Majesty the Queen was the single most important person in in the the history of of the British turf. And um, preface that by saying it is no exaggeration to say that uh, she was she she had that status. Um, I was contacted by a few people to say, you know, are you sure you haven't overdone that? But I think that the, the crucial point to make is that particularly, say, over the last two decades, horse racing, and, and the Queen was an owner, owner for 70, mm-hmm. but particularly the last 20 or 30 years, say, horse racing has come under increasing external pressure politically from politicians of all hues, um, and it's been something that I, th- I think w- was actually understated in British racing, that the Queen's role of providing validation for 
an activity that came under that pressure, a, you know, a family that are politically neutral, mm -hmm. um, that uh, there, there, is, there is no better um, example of that than, than the scenes from the Royal Box watching estimates winning the Gold Cup at Royal Ascot, whereby that is something that obviously the, the, uh, the last of Her Majesty's uh, classic winners, Silver Jubilee, year 1977. So by the time estimate was winning the Queen's Vase and then the following year the Gold Cup at Royal Ascot, we lived in a, a, a more, a, a, an age of, well I suppose we had global television in 1977, mm. but certainly I, social I media. Mean, yeah. where, and that was, that clip was sent absolutely everywhere. And as I say, it's, it's, it, it can't really be overstated that, the, the importance of the reigning monarch of 70 years or close to at that point um, provided that validation to a, a sometimes you know doubting audience as to whether horse racing was to put it bluntly an ethically supportable activity and I think her role in that was absolutely crucial I think the other point that, that I'd like to make is that in in talking to those who who dealt with Her Majesty, you know, Willie Carson was quoted extensively in, in the pieces that I wrote, uh, and, and also Frankie de Tory, Sir Michael Stout. Um, it, it's, it's entirely fitting that the first, the, the first meeting that one uh, has knowledge of with Big Game, the, two, the Royal 2000 Guineas winner, and Her Majesty, I think as a teenager, ran her hand along Big Game's neck at... at um, mm -hmm. Beckhampton. At Beckhampton. And yeah, the, the story was that, l like all of us, when we meet our sporting idols, you know, you think, I I'm not going to wash this hand, I've just shaken the hand of whichever footballer or whoever it might be. And that, that, that the, the story, possibly apocryphal, that... that she didn't wash her hand for hours afterwards because it had that it had that smell of the thoroughbred that that bewitches us all when we're close to it, mm. and and that was very significant because when you talk to particularly the, the 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 jockeys and the trainers, the the pursuit of glory on the track was it seems secondary to what was going on with the the breeding of horses the rearing of young horses that that what what happens behind the scenes in the horses training environment sometimes whereby the the pursuit for them to to reach their potential much more than than just lifting a trophy although obviously as we saw with <laughs> estimate that was very important yeah. too all those little yeah, the stifled clenches of the fist were, were very enjoyable to watch there. Uh, Hen, you've got some insight into what Dave was saying as well, particularly in a in a note that Her Majesty wrote to you when you, you wrote to her after the death of Prince Philip. Yes, after... Well, she, I have several treasured letters from the Queen that she wrote to me with her own hand after my sister died and after Sam Vesti died and then after Prince Philip died. And... At the end of the Prince Philip one, it was a letter which obviously was sent out, a letter to a lot of people. She had put about quite a nice paragraph in her own hand, and she'd said at the bottom of it how much comfort she got from animals. Her dogs and her horses had been so great to her. And the, the tribute that John Warren, her racing manager for so many years, paid yesterday when he was talking to the, the PA news agency, 
he was talking about being with the Queen in, in Balmoral the weekend before she died. And he said, we sat there for hours strategizing and making plans going forward. I think the nicest thing for me to know is that she was surrounded by her family members. She was in such a healthy state of mind and in tremendous form. She really loved having them right there with her and being able to talk about her horses and her love for her horses right to the very end. And of course, uh, the Queen then met uh, outgoing Prime Minister Boris Johnson at Balmoral and then announced Liz Truss as his successor the same day. And John Warren said, I left her on Monday afternoon. The Prime Ministers were coming in on Tuesday and she had a winner on the Tuesday. Uh, Clive Cox trained the winner on Tuesday. Uh, on the evening, she was in really good form, delighted she'd had a winner, talked about the Prime Ministers coming in and out. I can hardly believe it possible that within less than 48 hours, the Queen had died. Shocking as that was, it's wonderful to know that she led a long and full life and dutiful to the very end. Perhaps the racing community contributed to giving her some pleasure uh, along the way. Uh, and I guess it's, it's that puzzle, that strategizing, Andrew, that thinking about plans for the horses, that's going to keep any mind pretty vital. Yeah, and all, obviously always the, the dream and the hope that you're creating the, the next Derby winner. And, um, you know, it's just, to me, it's a, it's a lovely story that to think that these horses, that, that these matings have been designed by the Queen um, so, mm -hmm. you know, there is going to be a lasting legacy for the next few years at least. Now, the last paragraph of, of, of John's um, thoughts yesterday really struck a chord. He said, if we'd done our best, uh, if we were able to get the equivalent of a D student, a C grade with best endeavour, that itself was tremendous. Now, Hen, it would be fair to say that you were, you were the recipient of some E or F grade students, just one or two, but deliberately yes, sent to you yes. as sort of problem problem children mm. to see if you could get any kind of grade at all and you did manage with one of them. I did manage with one. We did have a winner for the Queen um, but I used to get the horses that had probably were the, the ones that were as you say right at the bottom needed, of the class. Needed some remedial treatment yeah. And, but she never gave up you see she believed in everything and that something could be done with every horse or every pony. You don't just say well that's no good forget about it. Mm -hmm. She always thought what the next horse that was not so good would have to do. And uh, she gave quite a few horses away to be ridden by people and they were ex-race horses that became very good retrained race horses. Um, like Barber Shop who did so well in the show ring. Mm. And um, but she always believed that there was a place for everything. And that's why I suppose she thought maybe in my small little yard I could help a few fading lights and see if I could re rejuvenate them. So you did manage to you did manage to get one past the post. In we front. did forty to one at Fontwell, much to her surprise. I remember ringing her up, more or less directly after the race, and she'd watched it. She watched nearly every race that she could, and um, well, her even the, the the surprise in her voice was fantastic. <laughs> it was worth it just for the surprise. Harvest Song was the the name of the yes, horse. Yes, this Harvest Song by Saddlers Wells. He was. Sweet horse, but he'd had various problems with his muscles and his back and so on. He tried, but he, he wasn't very talented. And he found life a bit difficult. But I, I bet, even though you appreciated that moment at the time, I bet you appreciate it even more now. Oh, fantastic. And Will Kennedy rode him, and I think he appreciated it. And it was a bit of a fairy story that afternoon. That was Fontwell mm. Park. I think it was Fontwell Park, Dave, where they actually had her first win in co-ownership with the the Queen Mother years and years and years ago. I think that's the thing that, another thing that strikes uh, me, I, I think that the the fact that the, in, in John Warren's 
piece, there is, uh, I think he says that, that it was probably estimate that gave Her Majesty mm. the, the, the greatest pleasure. But there's also the talk of the students who needed to stay behind after school for extra lessons. Um, and I think that he talks of the Queen's approach being akin to a parent wanting their child to win at the Olympics, which, of course, uh, Princess Anne competed mm. in 1976 and, and uh, Sarah Phillips in, won a silver in, uh, in 2012. And I think that's a really interesting point, that um, what, what unites us all in horse racing is that we lose our sense of perspective when a horse is running, however small your share in that horse, however modest the prize might be, that when glory arrives, that matters for nothing, does it? The, the fact that you have won, your, your small share has won a modest prize at Fakenham or where it doesn't have to be Ascot or Epsom or, you know, any of the, the big tracks. And she clearly delighted in that. And that's something that that bonds us all, isn't it? Yeah. That mm. when when it comes to uh, horse racing, sport, but particularly horse racing, that sense of perspective, however studied we might be in anything else that we do, when we get to that, that completely disappears. Now's not the time to to, to speculate about the future, though, though plenty have. But just touching on Royal Ascot, particularly Andrew, somewhere you, where you've had. You know, a tremendous amount of success and you've had an awful lot of runners for Her Majesty the Queen it's not officially a state occasion but she made it a state occasion by being there most every day she could in her entire reign say for the state opening of Parliament and when um, she wasn't terribly well last year but um, it, that really brought the, the whole event and the whole sport to, to, to a public consciousness that no other event can really very much so I think certainly on a global scale Royal Ascot is huge, and the Royal Procession is hugely important to to our sport, and um, you know it, it also for for members of, of the public of the, you know to to be able to wave a Union Jack once a year and and sing the national mm -hmm. anthem is yeah. is important. You know, it's not Jubilee year every year, and I hope that can continue that sort of tradition of being able to celebrate the, the monarchy and and being British is is the most important feature of. Uh, of Royal Ascot, and I hope that continues. But uh, the, the, the stories are legendary, and I'm sure you will have both experienced this personally. The fact that if you're there at lunch at Windsor Castle, you've got to be there on time for for one fifty nine to make sure that you're not going to miss anything. Mm. I mean, you must have you must have experienced that, Andrew. Uh, yes, I was very lucky to go in the in the carriages, um, and it's an amazing experience and, and yeah, run to military precision, the timing, absolutely. But uh, I, you know, I very much hope that that will continue for, for Ascot and racing's sakes, but I think it's probably important for the, well, I hope it, they would deem it important for the monarchy as well. Hen, do you, do you I concur? I, I totally agree. Everything was precision, everything was exact, um, but it was good because it set an example to other people how to behave and how to conduct themselves, perfect. And I just hope that everything continues, her racing, her racehorses continue, and her, her lovely stud of Highland ponies, that they continue, and that, you know, there's continuity. We all want that. And, of course, the, the continuity came 
Dave, because monarchs have had racehorses since the, well, since Charles II. That's right, and uh, both through, uh, well, King George V had two Derby winners as the, the Prince of Wales. Um, as you say, the, the success then went through uh, King George VI as well, Queen Elizabeth II's father. And so, yeah, it's, it's, a, um, it, 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 it's another fascinating thing. I keep saying it's another fascinating thing. But, but when you look at the, the pedigrees and you see, like, for example, high clear and then high to fashion, and, and that's, a, that's a really interesting and rewarding thing. You know, certainly um, high clear and Dunfermline were both homebred classic winners and it's uh, I, I really look forward to the um, I, and hope that the royal studs are, uh, are kept in in the family ownership mm. and that and that um, we can continue to to celebrate those winners for for many years to come welcoming in uh, John Berry to the program. John is a, a trainer in Newmarket, as you know, but also one of our most cherished racing historians. He compiled the obituary to Her Late Majesty for the, the Thoroughbred Daily News. It was an extensive piece. Um, John, good morning. Good morning, Nick. I was just talking there with, with Hen and Andrew and Dave about, about why why Her Majesty the Queen owned and bred horses in the first place. What are the, or, what are the origins of that from a um, monastic point of view, a monarchical point of view, I should say? Well, I mean, racing's been the sport of kings for a long time. And it is, it's not just metaphorically the sport of kings, it's literally the sport of kings. Uh, you know, famously, King Charles II rode in races on Newmarket Heath after, after become, becoming king in 1660. Um, Queen Anne founded Ascot Racecourse, hence the opening race of the royal meeting being the Queen Anne Stakes. But probably you, you might say the sort of current royal tradition dates back to uh, Edward, the, Edward, the, Edward the Seventh. Um, there was probably a lull as regards the monarch because Queen Victoria had no interest in racing. But Edward the Seventh was, he was as keen on racing as Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth was. Uh, he was a wonderful, wonderful supporter of racing. As Prince of Wales, he owned two derby winners. Um, which was Persimmon and Diamond Jubilee, who won the Triple Crown. And 1900, when Diamond Jubilee won the Triple Crown, he owned Ambush, the Grand National winner as well. And he, after becoming king in 1903, he still owned very good horses as king. Um, king George, King George V owned a 1,000 guineas winner in 1928, Scuttle. And sort of famously, the Queen was just a young girl then. The story was that sort of he told his you know told the story of scuttle's win to his favorite granddaughter and that sort of lit the fire in lit the fire in in her heart um her father king george VI, i mean through the war he owned a classic winner's sun chariot big game uh he was he was very very keen owned hypericum the 1946 2000 guineas winner who she was a daughter of fiola who'd been bought in, I think, 1930, in the 1930s, 1935, possibly. And that was that was one of the most influential uh, families of the Royal Studs for de decades, um, famously producing Highclere, who once the family, once parts of the family had gone to other, uh, other 
other studs. One branch produced. Oh, here, this is this is lovely. It was 1973, and she was just a. She won the 1,000 guineas, and then went to France to win the Prix de Diane on, and it was one of those really really special days. It's the Queen's love of racing. She took with her wherever she went around the world, and this wasn't a state visit when she went to Chanty uh, six weeks later after this triumph. It was it was a, it was a personal visit, but she was greeted as a head of state who owned a runner in the classic, uh, driven up the driven up the course beforehand, and it was a really special thing on her state visits. She'd try and tie in the racing, and her hosts would, you know, it was it was a link between where she was coming from and where she was arriving, the shared love of racing. So, yeah, I mean, she, she, she got it from her, from her family and Highclere High became the, the dam of both um, Height of Fashion and Burclear. From the former, we got, Sheikh Hamdam got many horses, including Nashwan, Ganati, and now Bayid. Um, Burclear became the grand dam of Deep Impact, you know, breed-changing horses. Um, and so she's the Royal Stud. She inherited the Royal Stud in coronation year. She owned the runner-up in the Derby, uh, Oriole, who then won the King George the following season as a four-year-old, made her champion owner for the first time. But, of course, her father had bred Oriole. And she she was basically carrying on what her father, King George VI, had done, uh, what her grandfather, King George V, had done, what her great-grandfather, King Edward VII, done, and not just done, they'd done it with a passion, and she did it with a passion. When you threw in that, the fact that she was a real animal lover and just loved the horses, uh, you, I mean, you, you, had, you had someone that just loved racing and made it, even though she was head of state and uh, head, of, you know, head of state for Commonwealth countries as well and you know, took her state duties very, very, very seriously... There was, you know, the running through it was this love. There was this love of, love of, the sport and the royal studs and the royal involvement which she'd inherited, plus a, you know, a real love of animals. So no, I mean, she she was just the the most passionate, most passionate owner breeder you could ever find. And the lovely thing was, that, you know, you could see how much thrill she got from her horses, even when she'd been, you know, even went into her nineties when she, you know, she'd been a successful owner for getting on for 70 years i mean the, the the passion just never died it was just it was just it was just inspirational to 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 see see how how important it was to her and to the royal family and you know hopefully the royal studs will continue i mean prince charles rode as an amateur rider he and camillo been had their own separate separate to the royal studs their own small owner breeder operation anyway and i think we all want it to continue and john just looking at the at the bloodlines i i, I... I must confess I hadn't realised the connection to Deep Impact through through Berkeley, though I was aware of, of what Height of Fashion clearly has, has subsequently achieved as one of the most important mares in, in world bloodstock. Those bloodlines such as they are now, um, they've clearly been revivified somewhat, uh, thanks to good management in the last 5, 10, 15 years. Um, would you look at them now and think, yes, these can still produce classic winners if they're judiciously taken forward? Oh, very much so. Very much so. You know, as I say, the, the the Fiola line, which has been, which came into the Royal Studs in the thirties, um, by Eden, twenty twenty two is shaping up as Horse of the Year from a, fam- a family that joined the Royal Studs, getting on for, getting on for ninety years ago. Reach for the Moon, of course, we. Had, there's great hopes that Reach for the Moon might be the Derby horse, and he didn't turn out to be, but he's still a, still a very good horse. 
his, I think it's his fifth dam amicable, was bought as a yearling by Cecil Boyd Rochford for Her Majesty in 1961. And I think the five dams going down the page were all stakes horses, expansive fourth dam, um, Triumph Gold Phantom. Phantom Gold, the Grand Dam. Did she win a Ribblesdale? Uh, Flight, of, Flight of Fancy came from the family, was second in the Oaks not that long ago. So, yes, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's probably the two, the Queen's two best horses recently, um, Estimate and Carlton House, were both gifts from respectively the Aga Khan and Sheikh Mohammed. But, you know, the old royal families that have been in the royal studs for decades are still, you know, as I say, Reach, reach for the moon. Reach for the moon is a classic example, and I rather feel with Reach for the moon, we haven't seen the best of him yet. Hopefully, he'll go on and you know become a. You know, he's, I think there's definitely group wins, group wins in him, and um, yeah, as I say, but you know, Baye shows that what what for decades was the number one royal family uh, is still is still is still capable of throwing up top class top class horses. John, thank you so much for your input this morning. It's been a pleasure, Nick, and an honour to be on. Thank you. John Berry, trainer and, uh, and racing, racing historian. Uh, I, I mean, I was disappointed John couldn't go back further than six dams, Hen, but, you know, I mean, that's, it's still a, still a pretty good effort. I think Her Majesty would have enjoyed that. I think she would have done. He probably wasn't alive then when he was <laughs> so far back, was he? No, um, I think the other thing about the Queen's horses, they were so beautifully named, and I think the names that will carry on... Um, for the future, and people look back at the names, and I've always thought her her naming was superb, and the naming of the Queen Mother's horses. Mm. And and that that was quite interesting. Um, John was saying it's in the lineage from King George the Sixth and King George the Fifth and Ed, Edward the Seventh, and you were talking about um, uh, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Mother, who you you knew very well. How how would you say that their interests differed? Obviously, Queen Mother enjoyed jump racing an awful lot. How were their enthusiasms for the sport driven by by different characteristics? Do you think? I think they both had a, a tremendous love of horses, and they were genuinely interested in 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 racing for racing sake. They were both competitive. The Queen Mother was competitive too, um, but they was she was very philosophical when accidents occurred, and obviously with the jumpers. They get more injured than the flat horses, and and she was, she was so good to the horses that had a little bit of time off, and she looked after. You no, know, she loved people to look after them yeah. and to know how they were how they were improving, and and she often wondered, you know, when they would come back into racing. But she was quite competitive, and she she wanted to get them back on the track. She loved that racing. I, I just about remember. Andrew will definitely remember the '86 Imperial Cup, won by Insula. Yeah, for mm -hmm. for your dad and and the Queen Mother, mm. and I think the Queen Mother had a treble, or maybe that was later yeah, special cargo, yeah. and I think yeah, but um, no, the Queen Mother had horses at Kingston as well, the odd jump and the odd flat mm. horse, and uh, she absolutely loved loved her racing, but she had probably more time to dedicate towards mm. the racing, whereas the Queen right to the end had so many public duties to attend to that probably she couldn't go as much as she would have liked to. I'm, and again, I'm just old enough to remember the Queen Mother would just pop up on a day when you didn't expect it. You could be racing at Windsor or Ascot or wherever, and just a Tuesday, our quiet Tuesday afternoon in February, and she'd just go, just sort of appear. Yeah, um, dusting down the royal box at Windsor, I do. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I'd imagine you'd imagine the call put in.
uh, sort yeah. of 11 o'clock in the morning. Yes, Her Majesty would like to come race. So the Royal Box at Windsor probably didn't get much, <laughs> much use, I wouldn't have thought. And then at, at Royal Lodge, where, where she lived, and I was lucky to have been and visited her on numerous occasions, there were more photographs on the old piano and on the sides of horses and horses' faces. And she really, this was the Queen Mother, really, really adored those horses. And she would talk about them all. She knew about all of them. There were more, there were more horses photographed than human beings. I, um, I spoke to Ryan Moore earlier in the week, um, and we were talking and he said something so straightforward Dave yet it resonated with me so much and I sort of asked him about estimate and the significance of the day and the gold cup and wearing the royal colours and the pomp and the circumstance and the ceremony and isn't this a great moment in your career and the depth of feeling and all the rest of it and he just said what I like was I could just see how much she was enjoying it and isn't that what it's about he said isn't that what the game is all about you're doing stuff to make people enjoy themselves so simple but so true yeah, and, and and hard to achieve, but the the as a, to to revisit the the footage of the royal, royal box for estimates win. That's just unadulterated joy, isn't it? At winning one of well the, the feature race of Royal Ascot, you know, um, it's uh, it's something that those of us who are that have a passion about horse racing that it's it, it's something that. Is we know is elusive and it's to be treasured when it arrives and and clearly Queen Elizabeth treasured those moments when they did arrive however great the race however lowly it might be um, interestingly the, the, the David Probert's reaction coming back on um, on Kings Lynn at Haydock Park he's not a particularly uh, demonstrative jockey in victory is he but when he came back in, it was it, 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 Willie Carson said it. You know that any jockey who put the silks on, you felt so. You you felt that that was a milestone in your career. The first time that you put them on, it's like not I've arrived, but this is very very significant. They're a they're a great set of silks as well. I'm not sure which monarch it was that devised devised the silks, but they, they look the part. They look the suitable part for they the do. regal I, colours. They? When, when they're hanging in your, in your colours room. Yes, they do, and have done for, for a while, obviously, but the, um, I'm fairly certain um, that the Derby winners that uh, John mentioned, they both wore those silks, so, and Ambush as well, so they've mm. been going a long time. certainly since the yeah, 1900, 1900 anyway. Hen, a, a final thought from you. It's just been a very moving time, a very moving week, and to have seen the reaction of the people has been just mind-boggling, really, just know that one lady had such a huge influence on the world. I mean, she was, she was like, a, she was like God. She, everybody adored her, and she... They just wanted to be part of her and part of her history and remember her with such affection for all that she did to the, for the country and for, the, for the, the people within the country, whether they were small, medium or large, she just helped everybody. She just wanted, she was a giver and she enjoyed life and she looked to the future. She never looked depressed or low. She always looked full of hope 
and she irradiated that hope and that enthusiasm even when the country was at a, a low ebb. She was just a great leader and a great person. Andrew is bred to be a trainer, driven by success. Wanting to be the best, it is a huge pressure. You are judged every day. Andrew's put himself in a position where he can challenge the big yards. We're blessed with a huge variety of owners. Wealthy, powerful people. At a million is bit. At a million. a million. At a million, a million is what I have. You go over that magic number, it's got to be a superstar. The most exciting thing is the big international fixtures. Lexington, Kentucky. Fantastic price money's always been a big draw. God, Asheen! Wow, what a ride by Asheen. He's managed to pull that one out of the fire. Asheen Murphy, he's very much a number one choice. As good a rider as there is in the world. Some breaking news about the champion flat jockey, Asheen Murphy. Asheen himself will be very disappointed. It is that public image that is hurting him. People saying his life wasn't worth living, death threats. But I think he's going to be banned for six months. So why are we wasting money on a lawyer? It's important for me to prove that I'm as good as ever. Alcohol-free, trying to hold off the cavalry. Wouldn't be a day that I haven't thought about alcohol-free in the Guineas. Just to get there is a challenge. This is her chance to prove that she is the best of her generation. Yeah! Roy Laskett. Box office drama. This is the defining period. There is a shadow hanging over me with this band. Extreme drama here at Royal Ascot. The jockeys will give evidence like lawyers in there. Very, very tense. Machine Murphy has burst through. Fearing, violently left-handed. Oh, it does define your career. If he doesn't win, I can honestly say he will go to his grave an unhappy man. I think he will go a happy man, I'm hoping so. Horsepower premieres on the 23rd of September on Amazon Prime. It's a four-part series, and Andrew Balding is the star of the show, I think it's, it's fair to say. Don't look modest now. No, well, I, I think there's plenty of stars. If if and when you, you get to watch it I, I think that's the, the greatest thing about it we'd agreed um, Dave James and John Maxey of Equine Productions and Nathan Horrocks had this idea a while ago I think inspired by Drive to Survive that they'd like to get behind the scenes mm. in a racing yard from the time of the yearling sales leading up to Royal Ascot with Royal Ascot being very much the, the focal point uh, and they approached us a couple of years ago and I think you know if they'd approached a lot of trainers would have been willing to do it um, we did it through a sense of duty in terms of trying to to allow people access behind the scenes in a racing yard and Dave very much became part of the family I mean he was there a lot and we sort of forgot he was there even um, so as a result he got footage I think that, that that really gets under the skin of what happens in in a in a racing yard on a you know during that busy time it, it interested me as well because I always think that you're quite controlled on a race date relative to some trainers you don't ever seem to get wildly excitable or I'm sure inside you feel all sorts of emotions but this this shows you in a rather different 
light, I suppose, to what people see on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, possibly that was Royal Ascot, though. So <laughs> it's a little bit, you know, a little bit more high-level um, pressure there. So, but I, I think, you know, like the, it's beautifully produced and, and beautifully filmed, um, and there's lots of different subplots. Of, you know, I've, I've only seen it the once, and I assume that's the final version. But uh, I, I find it there's a lot I'd forgotten. Um, but there's some wonderful stories behind the obvious. So when you watched it, what was the what was the one aspect of it that struck you as most surprising or disarming or unusual? I just think how many different people play a part um, in in a team like Kingsclear behind the scenes doing their bit. Uh, and and how important each of those little you know, might appear little jobs, but but that that sort of attention to detail detail how important that is because uh, David had been filming things that I just assume happen or expect to happen, um, and that going behind the scene and also some of the personal stories of of a couple of my owners and and some of the people who work for me, um, you know, I wasn't fully aware of the the detail there. So it's been interesting for me as well. So it's made so it's made you look at your your own staff and team in a in a different way. Yeah, well, look, perhaps you always sort of have a sense that it, expecting things to be done and probably take it for granted. But yeah, no, very much so. And I think that the passion comes through of those people and the love for horses. And that's at the end of the day, you know, you shouldn't be working in a racing yard if you don't genuinely have a love for horses and a passion for the job. I mean, it's it's a you know the long days and and often unrewarding. Um, so there's there's. And, and this will come, I hope, will come through in the four episodes of, of Horsepower, that yeah. that's the reason we, we do it. Do you ha have to get to a point in your career where you feel confident enough in yourself to be able to throw the doors open and go, yeah, film what you like? Yeah, I think there was, yes, I th you probably do, but I, I um, you know, there's, there's got to be some trust between the, the, the guys making the, um, producing the, the programme and, and us, and that was never in doubt from the, from the start. And... Uh, it was, as I say, from the, the sales right through to, the, to our international runners in the winter, that sort of cold part of February where, where everyone's a little bit down and the horses are fresh. And I, th I think they capture that really well. And then the spring coming and all that hope and um, looking forward to the season. And then obviously the climax at, at Royal Ascot. And luckily for them and for me, probably, um, we had a good Royal Ascot. And uh, so it sort of made the whole program worthwhile to, 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 from their point of view, I think. Yeah, and as you say, it was a, it was a strange Royal Ascot, wasn't it? Because it was one which was not quite capacity. It wasn't completely empty, but it was, was it 10, 15,000 people, something like that. Yeah, that, and th this is all shot through COVID, which... Um, sort of intensifies it, really, yeah, in some ways. Yeah, to an extent. But it, it also sort of, if for anyone who'd never seen racing, and this is the whole point that they've made this programme, is to try and attract an audience outside your luck on Sunday viewers, to yeah. be honest, but um, is to try and engage some people who might not, necessarily didn't even understand you know the difference between five furlongs and two miles um or, or thoroughbreds and quarter horses to, to try and draw them in and engage them in into what's happening that, that they might develop an interest in the sport so um that was the whole point of it the, the sadness is obviously through the covid years that the venues seem fairly empty and and there's a, a lack of atmosphere there probably um that that isn't isn't standard for, for, for normal years but um, there's, a, there's a couple of really interesting stories as I say, and, and the, the camera work is amazing and of course you, you've managed to alight upon a very interesting best supporting actor in this, uh, in this series Asheen Murphy 
who is going through all the drama of those BHA inquiries at the time that this is this is being shot. How were you feeling about that being on film at the time? Well, I didn't really give it much thought, to be honest. I mean, obviously, we'd, we'd signed up, so it was a joint for them to make it worthwhile. Asheen, myself, and Qatar Racing, David Revers, um, signed up to give them access to whatever they wanted, essentially. Uh, and we'd signed... We'd all signed up and agreed that, you know, we we felt this was a good move to try and help promote racing. And uh, as soon as we signed, uh, uh, sadly, you know, unfortunately, Sheen had the the drama with the French uh, with France Collot and the the positive drug test. So that was a slant on it. But I think as you watch this, perhaps it becomes a little bit more obvious how those sort of secondary problems later in the year came about. You know, there's immense pressure he was feeling at the time and. Um, you know the, the, the other problems are probably developing as they're filming, but you you, you know you might get a sense of, of the pressure that Bashim was under, and I'm not for one minute excusing you know excusing him, but but it is easy to judge. Um, but this might give you an opportunity to be in his shoes for for a little while. Uh, people talk about a pastoral responsibility to to young riders in the sport. I know from talking to you and I know from talking to your, your wife, Annalisa, who's such a big part of your operation, how protective is the wrong word, but how, how um, close you feel to, to Asheen and, and the re- responsibility that, that, that you sort of feel to him. And uh, you've, you've rather lived this journey with him. I mean, do you still feel that he is somebody that you can't, you can't just cut the tie and let him be cast adrift into the into certainly, the sport. certainly not just from, not just from a personal view, but from a, he's an asset to my business. You know, yeah. so you know from a business point of view, I couldn't dream of doing that. Um, and and from a personal point of view, obviously he you know he started with us when he was eighteen or seventeen, or whatever, however old he was, um, and has, has been part of the team. But I, I think, and and this isn't just O'Sheen's problem. This is a problem w- within that profession. Is that you know, these guys are living a high-octane lifestyle. Um, you know, they haven't... It's not a normal job. And uh, and perhaps they, you know, and they're young and they, you know, they're, they're living on the edge the whole time, I, I think. And it's, you know, it shouldn't be my job, but I think we collectively we've got a responsibility to try and give them as much guidance and assistance as we can. And I think with the jockey introduction of jockeys, coaches and... and other sort of mentor schemes uh, are, are very important, um, but it's it, it's not just Oshin. It's it's and he's not going to be. He's not the first. And he's not the last. It's going to be this, this sort of pressure on jockeys just because of the lifestyle they're leaving and the age they are, um, and they need a bit of help and understanding. I'd say. Oh, I'm just going to do a little bit of costume adjustment here because your microphone just May slipped, I? slipped down your tie a bit. So I'm going to ask our our wardrobe assistant to. To sort it out for you, it's an, it's a it's a very interesting point that you are making though about our our responsibility as a sport to to look after each other, particularly as we're also we're all these sort of disparate collection of really self self employed individuals or or small businesses all trying to kind of rub along together effectively. It's quite an unusual scenario, isn't it? Definitely, I think that's probably one of the biggest problems in the sport is there's so many different factions. Um, Trying to, to serve their interests, um, that the, the sort of collective goal, as it were, gets sort of slightly lost in that. But um, 
you know, I'm, I'm not, I haven't got the answer to this. The, you know, you should have the PGA on or someone well, like the, that. The BHA chair is coming on very shortly, so Joe Somerow Smith has got all the answers to all the questions. Yep, He's I in the green room next I, door. I hope he has. Yeah, perfect. As far as this show is concerned, I know you want to enable more people to enjoy the sport to try and broaden the sports audience. What do you hope it achieves for for you and Kingsclear? Well, I d it certainly hasn't. I can't see watching it that it's done any damage, and that's the first thing I've, I've watched. And I'd be ha happy that anyone watches that. They would get a, you know, it gives shows Kingsley in a positive light. So that was the first thing that's <laughs> that I was concerned about. Whether it would be <laughs> there's not going to be horse boxes arriving at the gate no, saying we're off. No, I, I'd hope not. But, you know, so for that, it's up to um, to Equine Productions and Lawton and up to them. I hope the program's a huge success for them. But you, you know, I think we've done our bit and. Uh, I hope people can enjoy it, and if it does get a couple of people engaged in the sport who wouldn't have been otherwise, then to me it's been, it's been a success. Roger Varian is the man of the moment. St. Ledger winner last weekend with Elder Elder off, last Sunday on the specially delayed St. Ledger at Doncaster, and yesterday with seven victories across three venues, and the no doubt shining jewel in Roger's crown was uh, Sakir, uh, who was brilliant in the Mill Reef Stakes over six furlongs, and there is now a dilemma as to whether to step this horse up to seven furlongs for the Dewhurst, which Mill he needs to be supplemented. He could run in the Mill Reef next week, which will come a bit too soon. The Jean-Luc Lagardère, I guess, is an option as well over seven on Arc Day. But the Elder Elder of colours, the yellow and black stripes, and if you were interested in this horse or you'd back this horse at short odds, Dave you were never terribly bothered. My God, it was impressive. No, you didn't have an, a, a moment's worry at all here. Uh, the horse had won at Haydock second time by a, a wide margin, and this obviously a step up to Group 2 company, and this horse passed it with flying colours. He, he, he travels well within himself before uh, he lengthens clear. Um, this was the sixth winner I think of Roger Varian's, and then of course there was uh, there was a seventh at Air, yeah, I'm or Eric at, 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 um, at Air. Yes, yeah. that's right. But very interesting to see what they do trip-wise now. I think that your interview with the trainer afterwards suggested that they would like to try Sakir at seven furlongs, and so perhaps both in terms of time and in terms of distance, the, the Dewhurst is the favourable option. You might run Chaldean in the Dewhurst, mightn't you, Andrew? Uh, yes, strong possibility. Um, when you see that, what do you think? He was very impressive. He's obviously a very good horse. Does, it, does he look to you like a, a sprinter or a miler, just the way he moves there? I think looks like a, he's buys off here, I think, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, there's every chance he'll stay a mile next year. You, you would have thought he looked nice and relaxed. He's a lovely horse. Uh, and am I right in thinking with you, I, I mentioned Chaldean there, you're someone who, if you have got a target for a horse, you are not going to be deterred by seeing a potential superstar against you. You generally are someone who will have a go rather than take a pull. Yeah, well, I mean, particularly as you get to this stage of the year, you haven't got many options, you, you know. So as long as the horse is Geraldine's healthy and well, I mean, he's in the Lagardère, which is a possibility. But, um, you know, the Dewhurst is, is the most important two-year-old race of the year. He's won an Acom and a Champagne, and he... You know, he doesn't need to be sort of hiding around corners. Um, and 
as long as he's well, that I, I think the Dewhurst is the most likely option. Um, but you know, once you've won a group two, this is the whole reason for the structure of the pattern race system is that you're funneled into mm. a group one and there aren't many options. And, and Roger was quite rightly bemoaning the fact that the, the funnel isn't really working as regards the mill reef to something like the middle park because of all the changes a few years ago, uh, as he said when I talked to him yesterday. Winning a classic six days ago, things are going pretty well. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's great. You know, the, the, the horses are healthy and, and running well, and you know the team at home are doing a brilliant job and got great great support, lots of owners and some nice horses. So um, when everything clicks, you know, it's you always a great day is possible. But today is very special. Zakir looks like he's got star quality to do that to a Group Two field and with such ease and rhythm and great fluidity to his stride as well. How excited are you about his potential? Well, I think you have to be very excited. Uh, I was um, blown away by his performance really today. And uh, he's looked very good at home and he looked very good at Haydock. I was nervous coming in today because it's a very different um, task, you know, than, than, you know, dominating a novice field. I thought he'd have to get to work today. And in fairness, he did. You know, was, he travelled well into it, but it was, I was interested to see what he'd do off a bridle. But I thought he was very impressive, hit the line strong and um, hard to fault his performance today. And he's, he's winning today over, over six furlongs. The way he moves is not, not the way sprinters move. Do you believe he is a, a miling classic horse? We hope he is. Uh, I think he's bred, bred to be. You know, his pedigree would say seven furlongs or a mile. Um, who, who knows? He, he's been very impressive over six, and we'll have to um, you know, debrief with everyone and see how he is afterwards to, to see what direction we go in. But... Um, I like how he's relaxing, he's a strong traveller, but he's not silly. I think he will stay further. Is there a sense within you that feels compelled to run him over seven furlongs this season, just to see where you are with him through the winter? I think you can make that argument. But, you know, let's, uh, let's just enjoy today, and we don't have to decide, <laughs> do we? See how he is tomorrow, and uh, I haven't spoken with the owner yet, and, um, and we'll get everyone together and see which direction we go in. But I think you, you could make the argument of stepping him up to seven and um, see how he copes. So it's either Middle Park or Dewhurst. That's the, that's the basic choice. Well, it? I think they're the two races, but of course the Middle Park's only next week. Yeah. And really, the, there should be two or three weeks between a Mill Reef and a Middle Park because I think this race should be a feeder race into the Middle Park. I don't think it makes sense that they're seven days apart. But he is in the mid Middle Park um, and the Dewhurst he'd need supplementing for. But I think those two races are probably the ones on the table. Yeah, that bit of the champions future champions rubik's cube was the one bit that didn't quite work when they put it all together so we look forward to seeing him probably in the Dewhurst, but maybe in next week's middle park as far as the other winners were concerned today royal champion we know he's quite good but he looked to take things to a whole new level today did the race fall apart or has he taken it to a new level i wish i could give you the answer nick because you know that horse has always looked very good very good at home but of course it's not about the mornings it's about what they do in the afternoons and Although he won very well at Epsom earlier in the year and he's, he's ran good races and defeat in, in good fields through the summer, he's still, until today, he's never, never delivered what we really felt he was capable of. And today everything clicked. He you know, had a good position. Jack kept it uncomplicated. He, he really picked up and finished his race off with proper purpose. And, and I hope that performance today you know, gives that horse a bit of confidence to actually maintain you know, that standard and, and, and hopefully... Maybe he's just been maturing, but hopefully now he can really hold his own, you know, in better company. Is there something nice for him now? 
we'll see. I wasn't expecting him to win quite as well as that today. We so hope you have to, do you have to have a rethink? Well, always. <laughs> of course I do. But, um, who, you know, he, he deserve, he's, he's won a listed race very, very well. And I'm sure there's a Group 3, a Group 2 or a Group 1 that he can run in through the autumn. Handicaps matter too when they're as valuable as the Silver Cup. A dusky Lord up to a stiff six uh, and the ground not too quick. He looked a completely different horse. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I've probably, you know, I've been running him over five furlongs most of the season and um, he's been running well. He, he ran poorly a couple of times, but uh, no, he delivered today. And uh, again, he's, he, he's a you know, very nice horse. He's, he ran very well at Glorious Goodwood. He was second and he, he won very well at Newmarket first up, you know, early on in May. And, you know, he's, he's been knocking on the door, but, you know, didn't expect him to win as he did, but we're delighted, you know. It's a great, great bunch of owners. Um, who own Dusky Lord, who have been with me for years, and um, I'm delighted. Uh, and your um, winner of the first race here, whose name has momentarily just escaped my mind, <laughs> and yours, I think, probably. Exoplanet. That's the one, Exoplanet. Yeah. He was well-backed. You think he's a nice horse for next year? I think he's a really nice horse, and um, I can't wait to see how he, how he improves with a run under his belt. I think he's a good prospect. Um, middle distance horse, or, or is he, is he going to be comfortable in a better grade at a mile? Well, I should think um, a mile is a two-year-old, but I think a mile and a quarter horse next year, I would, I would imagine. But um, who knows? Uh, um, you know, a stallion can get them over, you know, all sorts of trips. And uh, he's from a very good family. The, the dam is a half-sister to Legitissimo, who won the Guineas and, and the Nassau. So he's, he's, he's very well related. And I nearly ran him a mile at Yarmouth on Thursday. And he's just last, his last bit of work early in the week on the lime kiln. It's just said he just sharpened up. And we thought seven was the right trip to get him started. But no doubt a mile will be comfortable for him. And next year we'll just have to see. Mid bar, he put Goodwood behind him quite stylishly. Were you tempted to have a crack at the Abbey with him? Well, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Um, he'd been highly progressive before Goodwood. I thought he was a little bit unlucky not to win the, the charge on a clips day at Sandown. Um, but he is a um, improving sprinter. I think this is probably his trip. He's in the six furlong race on Champions Day as well. But I think five is probably his trip at the moment. And uh, maybe one more run this year. It could be a really nice horse next year.